The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Sevilla, Real Madrid, Gerard Piquet blunders. Eintracht Frankfurt, Cream Catalans, Milan in the money, Dortmund are back, Le Classic, and a rebuild in the Netherlands. It's the Total Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Week commencing April the 18th. Listener, hello. Thanks for joining Team Totally. We're here with uh, Alvaro Romeo. Hello, Alvaro. Hello, James. Hello to you. Also here, uh, James Horncastle. Hello, James. Hello, everybody. Woo! On the way, Julian Laurence. He's on his holidays. Uh, Mikael Jongsma, who's in the Netherlands. And Christoph Biermann. A big week for German football news. Crikey. How are you all? Happy Easter, Alvaro. Yes, thank you. It's been very nice so far. And I swim in the Atlantic as well. I what? took a day to go to the beach. And yeah, I, I managed to do it. I thought that I wasn't going to be able to do that. But yes, it was cold, but it was very refreshing. And very soothing. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is that a thing in Spain in the same way it is in Italy? The kind of the first bagnetto of the year. You, know, you get your first dip, you know, or... Uh, yeah, that, that's a good point, actually. Everyone says in Spain, yeah, I swim for the first time this year. I think that there is no person in Spain who wouldn't say that. Mm. But then, of course, depending on where you are from, if you are from Malaga, maybe you do it in late February, March. Mm. If you are from Bilbao, you are likely to do it in late April, May. But yes, yep. it is a in thing. In another yeah. country altogether. Yeah, ideally. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, a big week for all sorts of costumes uh, and customs in Spain. Have you been donning a white pointy hat and wandering in the streets carrying religious artifacts at all, Alvaro? Not my thing, James. Not my no? thing. Okay. All right. Have you been doing that in the streets of London, James? Or? <laughs> no, very, very much not my thing. Uh, let's find out what your things have been over the weekend with some moments of the weekend with Paddy Power. James. I mean, was there a moment of the weekend in City? Yeah, I mean, there was there was a moment insofar as um, you know AC Milan uh, are subject to a offer from a uh, investment funding based in Bahrain called You're losing them. <laughs> so yeah, one point one billion. I'll see right. what comes of that over the next fortnight. Milan yeah. won on Friday night against uh, Genoa two nil, and I suppose. Uh, even with that win, it feels like the momentum in the title race uh, has swung back into Inter's favour. We're recording this just before Napoli play Roma at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona. But uh, Inter have really picked up form since they defeated Juventus in the Derby d'Italia. They've won three mm. straight. Um, they have got the best running, quote-unquote, this, this is actually our, our title race talk rather than moments of the, of the weekend. Yeah, well, that's so. because there were absolutely no moments of the weekend. I'm going to give you a moment of the weekend. How about Jose Mourinho making a pilgrimage to the shrine of Diego Armando Maradona on the streets of Napoli with security, a phalanx of bodyguards around him? He went there because Diego never forgot him. He used to ring him up when times are tough and say, never forget, Jose, you are the best, Jose revealed these intimate a moment. It was quite touching, quite a touching scene, really, ahead of 
uh, Monday night's absolutely huge game away to Napoli, who are also in the title race. Hey, more on that title race later. Let's see if, if Alvaro can sum it up a moment of the weekend. I think that there is one in Spain. I believe that Real Madrid did uh, made a decisive step um, towards the league title because they were losing against Sevilla in a very important game, 2 0 by the halftime. And in the second half, they managed to come back. I mean, Rodrigo, Nacho, and Benzema, who else, scored the three goals that um, did the remontada for Real Madrid. And yes, Again, I would say bro, that. This if- is a match report. I'm looking for a moment of the weekend. Skip ahead to the bit where Courtois sat on the advertising hoarding talking to the fans. When there's the contentious decision that sees a third Sevilla goal ruled out for handball and the fans are going crazy and Courtois just sat there about a metre away from them having a chat with them, pointing out where on his uh, where on the arm. like did, Was it above or below the sleeve line? Amazing uh, picture. In the, maybe in the, in the Vinicius goal, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Well, that, that could be a moment of the week. I, I what guess was that... the one you were going for? I was going to go for Karim Benzema scoring the, the ah. winning goal. I know that this is a little bit more conventional, but at the same time, I mean, we have to say this. I mean, Real Madrid only needs 10 more points to win the league, thanks to that goal of Benzema, and there mm. are six games remaining. So I think that it was one of those decisive moments in La Liga, and I think that it deserves to be the moment of the week. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, so huge was that win that that's where we're going to start this week. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus be gambler aware.org. Rodrigo, Karim para el tercero, Karim para el tercero, para el gol. Ese es el Madrid. Ese es el Madrid. Sevilla 2, Real Madrid 3, Alvaro, as you were saying, in La Liga. What a game this was. Sevilla going 2-0 up, and then Real Madrid, who were fresh from that 3-2 with Chelsea midweek, roaring back. Once again, it was Rodrigo scoring uh, just a short time after uh, coming on that, that got things underway. Yes, I think Rodrigo this week has been really important for Real Madrid. The game started really badly for Real Madrid again. They have lost the last first halves, the last two, by 2-0, uh, 2-0 at Bernabeu against Chelsea and 2-0 at Sánchez-Pizjuán against Sevilla. This doesn't mean anything, of course, because the football uh, gets rated over 90 minutes, but it can be a little bit concerning if Real Madrid doesn't get their act together and they fix what's happening at the beginning of the game for them. But uh, I would say that the game was very important for Real Madrid because they show again that they've got the spirit. And even when Sevilla went uh, leading by 2-0 to the, to the half, half-time, I think that everyone knew that Real Madrid had still like a goal or two in them. I think that the first half was very bad for Real Madrid. Um, Militao was very exposed all the time, unable to uh, stop uh, Sevilla's counter-attacks. I think that Militao probably was missing Casemiro a lot because Casemiro was uh, suspended for the game. And with Casemiro, he would have felt uh, less exposed. That's for sure, more protected. And also, uh, I think that in the first half, something happened which was decisive for the course of the game. Camavinga had a yellow card and he made a blatant challenge that should have been the second yellow card for him and therefore he should have been sent off in the first half. 
but the referee didn't call that second fault because he knew that if he called the fault, then that fault should be awarded with a yellow card. Well, Sevilla players couldn't believe that. Martial got injured as a result of that fault by Camavinga. Real Madrid stayed with 11 men and they managed to come back. It's true as well that Vinicius scored the goal. It got cancelled because the referee understood that Vinicius touched the ball with his hand. And I don't think that that happened. I think that it was the shoulder. But anyway, Real Madrid won. Rodrigo got uh, a goal, an assist. Nacho scored the goal after coming from the bench. And Karim Benzema scored the winning goal. And again, Karim Benzema was the guy who won the game for Real Madrid. And yeah, I think that he is going to be the MVP of the season for sure. Because uh, his uh, contribution to Real Madrid has been capital, has been pivotal uh, to win the title. They haven't won it yet, but as I said before, they are only three wins and um, one draw away from winning La Liga. Mm. Benzema, 39 goals in 39 games this season. Extraordinary. He's now only five. Where's Jules when you need him? Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, can you play in a clip of Kareem the Dream? <laughs> the, the amazing thing is, is how that is now catching. I, I don't know. I imagine it, it was before Jules, but now I've, I'm hearing like Italian commentators say it. It's, it's really? just remarkable. Yeah, oh yeah. Hello, Italian commentators. Rodrigo va ad aggredire la linea di fondo. Benzema se la sistema. Karim, the dream, Benzema. Strangely, it hasn't, it hasn't been a thing in Spain. The Karim, the dream thing. Mm-hmm. You need to popularize it then, Alvaro, clearly. Yeah, go you know? for it. <laughs> Come He's, on. No, there, is, there is no catchphrase for Benzema, to be honest. No, no, we don't really? have anything like that. He's now just five goals off Raul's all-time Real Madrid Goal tally, which is extraordinary stuff. Uh, Real Madrid, 15 points clear of Barcelona, who play on Monday night. They're hosting Cadiz. They have got two games in hand, but as you say, Alvaro, it looks pretty much done and dusted. Uh, what about Barcelona, though? Uh, after Thursday night's ignominious exit to Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, first real setback, I, I think I'm right in saying, for, for Xavi. What, what's the reaction been to that? Yeah, playing away from home at yeah. home. <laughs> That, that's the thing. I think that the the biggest reaction, uh, the one that still remains, the one that it's still a conversation, is that the fact that 30,000 Frankfurt supporters uh, they were spread around the Camp Nou. I think that uh, the club made a massive mistake, not being able to control who was coming onto the pitch, uh, onto the the stand. Sorry. At the same time, it is Easter, or it was Easter time in Spain, and many socios, many season ticket holders, they gave away their tickets or their uh, IDs. And, uh, you know, after you do that, then there is no control of over who is taking that or who is taking your place. And Barcelona didn't control it. As a result of that next season, Barcelona's tickets in Europe are going to be what we say nominative. So uh -huh. a name will be attached to it and only one person will be able to go there, and they will have to identify that person before entering the pitch. I have to say, Alvaro, I, I did see some of this reaction. I thought, well, that, that must just be a part of it. There must be a much broader discussion about where Barcelona went wrong in a game that they absolutely had to get right, and in a game that had been preceded by such great results for them. For them to go 3-0 down hmm. the way they did against Eintracht Frankfurt, coming back, but a little bit yeah. too late on to make it interesting uh, in, the, in the final minutes. But that's been the big issue. What, how many Eintracht Frankfurt fans were there, not it, what it, the team got up to? Yes, it is now. It is now. But of course, uh, on that night, there was uh, a proper discussion everywhere about what uh, went wrong for Barcelona. Right. Uh, because there is an, an agreement that Barcelona didn't deserve to go through. 
there is an agreement that Barcelona was worse than Frankfurt over 180 minutes because in Frankfurt they survived. And only a genius goal crafted by uh, Frenkie de Jong and Ferran Torres got uh, Barcelona alive in the tie. But then at Camp Nou, mm, I think that the, f- the physicality of Frankfurt was... Uh, unstoppable for Barcelona, but Barcelona weren't only outmuscled, but they were outplayed as well. And uh, we haven't seen that in 2022 in La Liga. It's true that there has been some warnings, for example, beating Levante only 3-2 seven days ago with a goal of Luke de Jong in the last minute of the game. Well, it is kind of a warning because Levante uh, are um, 20th in La Liga. Also, the many injuries that Barcelona has been having haven't helped at all. Even Pedri is out now for the rest of the season. But of course, it looked like three, four weeks ago that Barcelona was not only in the right way, not only they were on the right channels, but also they were capable of competing with the best. And now what we can see is that Yes, they have to trust the process. Yes, the process seems to be the right one, but there will be many problems along the way because Barcelona's defenders are, apart from Araujo, not uh, very robust and very trustworthy. And also because uh, some of the youngsters are youngsters and by definition they will have good days and bad days. So this loss against Frankfurt, it is a warning, of course, but there are many things that are working for Barcelona as well. And let's not forget that from January until now, the run of the club has been sensational. Mm. I think that, uh, you know, we have to understand that if a team is trying to rebuild themselves, these things will happen. Absolutely. All right. Uh, That was the Barcelona perspective. But what about Eintracht Frankfurt, 10th best team in the Bundesliga? How did they feel about last Thursday's extraordinary result at the camp. Now we'll we'll find out next when we speak to Christoph Biermann. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporter Support Line and we're talking to Man United fan Carl. Yeah, I'm worried about the trip to Liverpool. It's the game I'd be worried about, Carl, not the trip. Yeah, at least the M62 won't be one-way traffic. It's not always rewarding being a Man United fan, but if you want rewards, you can get a free bet if one leg of your bet builder on Liverpool v Man United lets you down. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet but a bet only. Min two plus legs. Max one free five pound bet per customer. Must have previously deposited to avail. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. This is the Totally Purple Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Christoph Beerman, hello. Live from Freiburg. Hello. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you uh, too. You're in Fr- you, you've been in Freiburg for a variety of reasons, including Borkham's visit there this weekend. Yes, I, um, I showed up. They didn't show up. Mm. Uh, they lost uh, 3-0. Uh, uh, never had a chance. And um, ah, But it was a good performance from Freiburg. And uh, now they are eagerly awaiting their uh, cup semi-final mm. on Tuesday in Hamburg. Uh, against Hamburger SV, and uh, if they win it, it will, would be the first ever German Cup final. Wow, okay. The second semi-final is between RB Leipzig and Union Berlin. Mm. And also, I mean, uh, both teams had played in German Cup finals before, but uh, they haven't won it. Uh, so mm. the only team in the competition that already has won it is uh, Hamburg from the second division, but that is long time ago. I think maybe something like 1987 or so. Okay. A lot of things to discuss this week, Christoph. 
should we start with the Schwarzengelven, though? <laughs> Dortmund and their incredible 6-1 victory over Wolfsburg. Five goals in 14 minutes. Wow. Yeah, that was wow. And um, on the other side, uh, shocking by uh, from, from Wolfsburg's uh, point of view. We've been talking about Borussia Dortmund and their in and out form every every other week or so. But but the, the story is similar with Wolfsburg. So they look stable the one week and then they completely lose it the the other week. And uh, I think from Wolfsburg's point of view, and and that's true also for Borussia Dortmund. They are looking they are looking forward to the end of the season, hmm. uh, an end of the season uh, that wasn't satisfying. Uh, for different reasons, but for both of them. It was Tom uh, Rutter, was it, who opened the scoring, becoming the youngest player ever to score on his Bundesliga debut. He's just 17 years and, well, 169 yeah, and, and, days. And, 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 and a name, I, I guess, when they, when they were reading out the team, I think most of the uh, Borussia Dortmund fans hadn't heard the name before. Mm. Hopefully they'll remember it. Uh, then a name that they are familiar with, Erling Haaland uh, concluded the scoring, or concluding his scoring drought rather, uh, with a brace, taking him to 33 goals in 31 appearances this season for club and country. Uh, uh, one of those Borussia Dortmund games where they make you wonder why on earth they can't do this more more often. Uh, on the subject of Erling Haaland, uh, Christoph, uh, any, any further indications about where his future lies? Uh, so, so um, uh, obviously, uh, still uh, Manchester City is is a huge favourite to sign him. Um, let's see. Um, I think what what I've heard his talks with uh, uh, Borussia Dortmund are more or less over. So he's there is no no serious talk about extending the contract or so. It's clear that he that he'll be going to somewhere and uh, uh, the favourite so far is Manchester City. Okay. In the meantime, Borussia Dortmund stays second in the Bundesliga, nine points behind Bayern, who could win the title next Saturday when they play against Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, that will be maybe the last chance to give uh, Borussia Dortmund um, a better feeling uh, that they could get out of the season. But but that's also true for Bayern now. I mean, I mean, um, uh, to go out of the Champions League against Villarreal is shocking for them. And you can see that there's also already st- starting some kind of blame game. Who, whose fault is it? What went wrong? And is it um, the a discussion we already had um, when Hansi Flick was coach? Is it um, that the signing that uh, Bayern did, that especially Hassan Salihamidzic um, did, uh, didn't they give this court enough depths? Um, were they careful enough in their signings and, and so on? Is a team underperforming uh, compared to Flick under Nagelsmann and so on? What is what's going on with Oliver Kahn? Where, where is he hiding? So um, you you see there is a a lot of um, discussion going on around uh, Bayern and and. Uh, uh, winning the, the 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 German Championship next um, Saturday w- would would feel more like a consolation prize than actually getting a good feeling out of the season. Right, it would be their tenth consecutive title. Whereas going out to 
an unfancied, relatively unfancied side like Villarreal, a bit more of a shock. They went out last year, I think at the same point, but at that point they didn't have Lewandowski with them and that was felt like the key thing. Beyond issues over squad depth, is it, what's been the other main reaction in, in Germany? Yeah, but a, a kind of disbelief, actually. Um, I, I think nobody really expected it. Um, and, and so maybe is there also... Uh, a big cycle coming to an end. You, you, we have these great players of, of Bayern Munich that are getting older and older. Uh, Manuel Neuer, Robert Lewandowski, Thomas Müller, and 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 so on. And um, right now, it's a, it's actually a bit difficult situation because uh, also Bayern they let, um, for example, David Alaba go, although they knew that he was a very very important player. I mean, he's not only a good uh, good defender, but he he was also a leader in the team. But they decided that they couldn't pay him as much as uh, Real pays him. And so if you if you have this kind of limitation, will they be able to su- sustain the position as one of the teams that where you um, expect them to, to be under the top four in Europe? So that's a discussion that's also going on. And uh, so uh, let, let, let's see um, uh, where they end with it. I, so I think it's, it's open. It's, it's a bit like they are uh, trying to define their position uh, for the future also, apart from all these more detailed who was playing like mm-hmm, and, and who should, should we have signed and so on. And of course, a lot of it was down to Villarreal, Alvaro, no? and the way that they... They shut Bayern down, the, the way that they nullified the the attacks, that extraordinary offside trap that they were running. And, and only four shots, I think, on, on, on target the whole game from, from Bayern. Absolutely. I, I was expecting Bayern to do much more, really, to attack much more, to prove Geronimo Rulli much more, to basically storm out there and prove Villarreal who was boss. And they didn't do that. They didn't do that. It was very disappointing by Bayern. Uh, Nothing to do with uh, Hansi Flick's Bayern in uh, 2020 when they were basically destroying you in every possible way. So yes, I was disappointed. I also think that Bayern had many players who could be slightly happier playing in another position. And I think that Sané probably is the, be- the best example. I think that he is too far away from uh, influential positions. And then how vulnerable they were. Villarreal uh, did uh, one or two counterattacks and they always managed to shoot in the box. One Dan Yuma in the first half and then the goal of Samu Chukwese. So I don't think that even Bayern took this game not seriously. I believe that they did their best, but Villarreal didn't find it so tough. And this is what I found very puzzling, very remarking, uh, very remarkable, and definitely something that I would have never expected. Mm. And, and and I totally agree with Alvaro, and, and, and that's a, a bad news for Bayern, actually. It didn't look like, oh, they were having a bad day. Actually, they had two bad days uh, also in Villarreal, and also in the second leg, and if you have, and, and no, it's it, it's uh, there are more deeper lying uh, problems that showed up, and and they were um, more even more visible because um, nobody expected Villarreal such a, a, a strong opponent. Mm. I see on Instagram that Robert Lewandowski's wife is learning Spanish. <laughs> Stuff. She's asking for tips on learning Spanish. Yeah, there, is this, there is this rumor that uh, Barcelona may 
make an attempt for him, but I think that this is still too early to talk about this. Yeah. Barcelona. Yeah. Crikey. Right. It's too early to talk about this because, first of all, they have to sort out their salary cap. Mm. Uh, in January, we learned that Barcelona is exceeding La Liga's salary cap in 200 million, so they'd better do something about that before trying to trigger in signing. Crikey. Uh, don't they want to sign any Frankfurt players? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they should. They should. They, they were so good. They were very impressive. And Philip Kostic, I think that he could have a really bright future in the Spanish top side, definitely. Well, Christoph, let's talk about last Thursday then because there have been some shocks and surprises in European football this season. But that was one of the, I think, the standout nights, whether it was the invasion of Frankfurt fans. What was it, 30,000 all told uh, to Barcelona? Uh, so, 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 so I think they, they were 30,000 uh, in Barcelona mm -hmm. and about 25,000 uh, within the stadium. And... Uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, we we knew that. I mean, we already have, have been talking about it. So it it wasn't like they were hiding and and then all of the sudden they came around the corner. And and uh, I, I I really find this discussion in Barcelona very funny right now. They how how could they get the tickets and what what would you do wrong? Obviously. Uh, uh, 20,000 Barcelona fans were not really interested in playing against this. What's their name again? A Frankfurt uh, a team and uh, didn't show up, sold their tickets, didn't buy the tickets. And now everybody is surprised that people are actually coming from Germany and, and wanted to watch it. Yeah. And what would Barcelona do if they got to a final and, and, and faced large numbers of opposition fans as well. Not an issue, thankfully, they'll be facing now after this. What did you make of Eintracht's performance, though, on the field? This game will stay forever in the history of, of Eintracht Frankfurt. Well, one of the... Uh, um, maybe uh, side by side with uh, playing in the European uh, final in 1960, I think it was, in, in Glasgow against... Um, Real Madrid when they were losing 3-6 and and so so that so far was the biggest game in the history and I, I would say now this is on the almost in a way on the on the same level Ich fass es nicht ein Heimspiel für Eintracht Frankfurt ein Traumtorspiel für Eintracht Frankfurt Bang Bang Boré unter die Latte Hallo Barca das ist Eintracht Frankfurt Hallo Barcelona das ist Hessen. People are, were so excited and I think everybody in, in Germany was excited as well. So when you were following it on Twitter, a lot of people were saying, um, and I, I, actually I did it, I, I would never expect myself to uh, celebrate a Frankfurt goal in my life. Mm. And it was, so, so it was electrifying, it was fascinating. European football is very often very clean and 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 industry like and and here we had this very fantastic chaotic emotional uh, event that was created um, uh, from the supporters and I think that was um, um, and and I think even even a lot of people from abroad that were like really impressed by it and and, and liked it. Just very quickly on the fans, James. Come uh, now has become a destination over the last 10-15 years just because Lionel Messi was playing for Barcelona and because Barcelona is a very popular city among uh, European tourists and American tourists as well, well, from all around the world actually. So it's no news that there are many non-Barcelona fans 
at Barcelona Ground. What it is new is that there are 30,000 away fans at Camp Nou spread around the pitch. And I think that this is a time for Barcelona to learn. This is a time for Barcelona to say, okay, this season we were getting it in the right way because now at Camp Nou, you don't get so many tourists who want to see Messi because Messi is in another city in the north of Europe. So this season Barcelona fans as well, they were kind of rediscovering their team and linking themselves with it in a different way again, which was in my opinion a little bit more perhaps authentic. And uh, what happened against Frankfurt was totally out of the blue. But this is a good moment for Barcelona fans to think again and uh, just to start supporting the club in the good days and in the days that they don't look so good, like mm. the day against Frankfurt. It didn't, it didn't look appealing on paper, but Barcelona needed their, fa their fans that day. How many supporters do you think uh, Frankfurt will bring to East London, uh, Christoph, for the, for the semi-final? <laughs> Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what uh, right now what the ticket allocation is, and I think it's, it, it will be much more difficult to uh, to get spare tickets uh, for 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 the away game in London because I mean it's it's a, it's it's also a, a great match for West Ham. I mean it's 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 not like. Um, maybe if if it would be Manchester United or so, or if it would be uh, Arsenal uh, or, or Manchester City, um, they would say mm -hmm, it's it's only the Europa League. But but for West Ham, it's the Europa League, and for Frankfurt, it is. And so um, maybe there will be a, a, a lot a lot of people go to London, but um, I I think there won't be as many in the ground as uh, there were in Barcelona. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll look ahead to that game next week. Uh, that's coming up uh, Thursday week, of course. In the meantime, Eintracht Frankfurt uh, beaten 2-0 at Union Berlin uh, this week, uh, but they probably won't care too much about that. RB Leipzig, meanwhile, also in the Europa League semi-finals, and they are taking on Rangers. How are they looking, Christoph? Pretty impressive. Um, they have something machine-like uh, at the moment. So everything is is functioning uh, very well. It's not... I mean, the the uh, away win at Leverkusen, the, the match was a bit dry, um, but but it's I mean they had this difficult match in in Bergamo. They have the we, we talked about it. They have the cup semi final um, uh, to come in. In between, you have to go to to Leverkusen to one of the direct competitors for a spot in the uh, Champions League. And they in a, in a very cold, composed, controlled manner won it. And um, they are really in form. And, and for for me, they're also a bit bit the. Um, Maybe even the uh, 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 the uh, favourite to win the Europa League, but let's mm. see. Dominic Schlobberslei with the the goal there in a one nil victory. Excellent. Well, we'll look ahead to uh, that fixture and the West Ham game and what's happened in Du Classica uh, next week, Christoph. For now, thank you ever so much for joining us. Cheers. Bye. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Alvaro Villarreal, after dumping Bayern Munich out of the Champions League, are going to be taking on Liverpool next. They couldn't, could they? It's the ultimate challenge. I, re I really think this time that they won't be able to do it. Uh, but I'm not discarding them completely, OK? I'm going to give them uh, the benefit of the doubt and a certain percentage, let's say, maybe a 20%, I don't know, of mm. chances of going through. 
but I think that Liverpool is a better side than Bayern this season, definitely better than Juventus. And um, when they put the ball in the box, <laughs> they put really good crosses in there. So Albiol and Pau Torres against Bayern, they didn't have to deal with very difficult crosses, but I think that what Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold especially do from the wings is very difficult to defend. I think that Villarreal may find it very hard. And without Gerard Moreno, it's going to mm. be even harder because we still don't know whether Gerard will play against Liverpool or not. It looks difficult uh, that he'll be ready to play at Anfield. And uh, let's see if he will be able to play in the second leg. He's got mm. a niggling injury again. And this is the sixth muscle injury that he's suffering this season. So you wonder where Villarreal will be in the league, having had Gerard Moreno on form this season. Unfortunately, he hasn't been. All right. Well, we'll uh, look ahead to that that game with an update on his fitness in next week's show when we'll also react to the Copa del Rey final, assuming they've worked out by then when to play it. Real Betis against Valencia. We still don't know when the kickoff time is or have they decided now, Alvaro? Mm, you know that you get me there, right? Uh, I don't know if that has been 100% decided right now. Okay, well, uh, Monday lunchtime it wasn't. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. 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 Exactly, exactly. But right now I'm not, I don't know because I haven't checked the latest news. It's pretty amazing though, isn't it? It is, it is, it is, it is. And it doesn't look right, And it is, but this is not the biggest scandal of the Spanish FA this week. Oh. A few days ago, the Spanish FA reported that documents from the FA and private audios from the FA as well had been stolen. They reported this on Friday, I believe. And today, Monday, a digital news website, El Confidencial, has published audios between Gerard Piqué and Luis Rubiales, the president of the FA, talking about how to make a deal with Saudi Arabia to host the Spanish Super Cup and how to share the money price. Uh, we knew that Piquet's company, Cosmos, had been a facilitator for the Spanish FA. But what we didn't know is that the company of Gerard Piquet had uh, got a commission for doing this, which is 4 million euro per Super Cup, per year that the Spanish sides go to Saudi Arabia to play the Super Cup. Rubiales, in a radio show a couple of years ago, he said that uh, Piquet's company, Cosmos, never got a commission. Mm. Uh, and we got to know now that, yes, they did get a commission. Saudi Arabia is paying 40 million in total for Spanish clubs to play the Super Cup in their country. The Spanish FA keeps roughly around 20. Then Piquet's company is getting 4 million. And then the remaining money goes to the four participants. And there's nothing legally wrong here so far. Piquet's company basically is getting a commission for organizing an event. But there are many things that are morally and ethically wrong. For example, there is a conflict of interest here because Piquet plays for Barcelona and Barcelona normally plays the Spanish Super Cup. He can still play for Spain, Gerard Piquet. If he says he's available, Luis Enrique will consider that. And, uh, you know, the Spanish FA and the Spanish national team are the same thing. And also, there is something that I think that this is the most controversial part. Gerard Piquet is openly discussing money with the Spanish FA president. Basically, he is telling the Spanish FA president how much money Real Madrid should get, how much money Barcelona should be getting, and how much money the other two participants should be getting. So basically, Gerard Piquet is saying something like Athletic Club Bilbao should get a million, Barcelona should get eight. And I don't think that Gerard Piquet should be involved in any conversation of that sort. That's amazing. It is. Busy chap. <laughs> trying to think of an equivalent figure in, say, the English game or or indeed anywhere of a player who's still active, having that kind of a, a sideline and, and, and making so much of it. Extraordinary. Well, it'll be interesting to see what else surfaces 
from those stolen documents, Alvaro. Uh, but next up, let's move on to Syria. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's good news for Watford fans as they get ready to appoint their fourth manager of the season. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Let's hear now from James Horncastle. James, uh, semi-finals in the Tassa do Lega, Tassa do Portugal this uh, <laughs> this midweek. What do you think? I I did actually watch the Super Clásico between Benfica and Sporting on uh, on Sunday night. Oh yeah, uh, Sporting Club. Uh, yeah, which was uh, Benfica Catinacho, really. Uh, mm. It really was. I mean, six at the back. Darwin Nunes had no chances. And yet he scored one on a long ball hoof from Jan Vertonghen uh, and then set up the other in stoppage time as, uh, as Sporting obviously chased an equaliser because uh, it really looks now like their efforts to retain their title have just gone completely up in smoke. Porto already miles out in front. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, the Super Tassa, I obviously uh, I can't wait, James. Uh, you know, that and the Coppa Italia semifinals right. are spoiled for midweek cup action in, well, in, in Europe. In, indeed. You, you, of course, were able to watch Super Classico on, on Sunday night because all the City Ant games had been moved to Saturday because Easter, only two points between Inter and Milan, who are in first place at the moment. Napoli, as you mentioned earlier, will be hosting Roma on this Monday evening, and they can pull to within two points of the top themselves. Roma, who have got a busy week ahead of them, they've got Inter at the weekend, and then next week they've got Leicester in the Conference League as well. Should we start off by saluting the fact that Roma are still in the Conference League? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are the last uh, Italian team standing. Uh, in Europe, and yeah, what in three of the last four years they've reached a, a European semi-final. I think we we did mention the the prospect of them doing that. I mean, it's kind of quite remarkable that they've done it: Champions League, Europa League, and Conference League, um, all with different coaches. You know, yeah, into Toto next season. <laughs> yeah, maybe Seferin will bring that back. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I mean, as much as uh, it's easy to mock and say, actually, that's a sign of a club going backwards, you know, mm. because it's they've they've reached semi-finals in the first tier, second tier, and then third tier competition. Yeah, to, to Roma fans, they don't really care about that um, because uh, yeah, the only European trophy they've ever won was the Fairs Cup, and given they haven't won any trophy at all since mm. uh, 2009 when Spalletti was in charge. You know they'll take it. I mean, it, it, it was quite interesting uh, that the debate on, on on Sky Calcio Club on uh, on Saturday night 
<laughs> where, where Paolo Di Canio, uh, obviously a dyed-in-the-wall Lazio fan, but I, I think also you could say it was an intellectually honest argument, was saying, you know, why are we getting so excited about them uh, beating Bodo Glimt at the fourth attempt, um, you know, when Inter played really well against Liverpool in a better competition and, yeah, okay, they went out, but, you know, th- that's something that should have been celebrated more than this. Because, you know, Bodo Glimt ultimately have got seven players who go on the docks every day or whatever, and they, they, they fish for salmon. That was, that was, that was Di Caglia's take on it, which uh, drew a few wry smiles. But, you know, I mean, it is a big few weeks coming up for Roma, James. I mean, there are, what, 11 games unbeaten. And, uh, you know, if they were to come through these games against Napoli and Inter... Um, then they would be in a, in a, I mean, they're already in a better than expected position uh, that no one expected them, them to be in um, a few weeks ago, mm. even. Um, so, so yeah, um, chapeau. Well, indeed. The, the Bodo victory coming with a hat-trick from uh, Nicolo Zaniolo, who's the subject of much chatter about where his future might lie, whether he's <laughs> going to agree a new deal with the Jadarossi, it was Tammy Abraham who opened up the scoring. But a victory against Napoli, were that to come on Monday, listener, it might already be a result you know about, would really make things interesting in terms of Roma's chances of making it back into the Champions League because of what happened to Juventus at home to Bologna uh, on Saturday. James, we were covering this live, and when, 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 you, when you mentioned things that weren't expected to happen, I think Bologna opening the scoring is right up there. Yeah, uh, because, I mean, Bologna have never won at the Allianz Stadium and it looked like they might uh, come away with a, a famous win. Uh, we've seen other teams do it for the first time this season. Um, Sassuolo, Empoli, for example. And they were the better side. Um, Juventus, yeah, really disappointing again. And you could say in some respects that they've mirrored the season that you know, Roma have had in that you know, a great manager comes back uh, you know, in Roma's case to the league, in Juventus's case to the club, um, they put together these kind of long and beaten runs, which you know they, they haven't always put in convincing performances. But I think you know this was one of the worst we've seen from Juventus this this season, um, and I think again underlines how just signing Dusan Vlaovic alone isn't enough to to solve their their lack of in- invention, lack of creativity, and. Uh, Ultimately, they got back into it because right at the end, uh, well, there was a, a tackle by Sumado on, uh, on Morata. Is it in the box? Is it out the box? It looked like it was a penalty at first, and then Sumaro gets sent off, and everyone's like, well, that's really harsh, triple punishment. But no, he was the last man. It's a free kick outside the box. Gary Medell loses his head and gets shown two yellow cards in very quick succession because of his, his reaction towards the referee. And then Juventus score a stoppage time equaliser. Morata bicycle kick to the far post. Vlajevic heads it in. And, you know, ultimately it may be an important point for them um, because, yeah, Allegri, as is often the case when his teams, when his teams do well, he tends to be critical of the team. And when the team does badly, he tends to be more measured and kind of optimistic. And, you know, he was saying afterwards, look, we're taking it one step at the time. First half was fine. So we'll see, but they certainly have uh, Roma breathing down their necks, uh, mm. um, pending obviously the result that our audience will already know about. So yeah, let's see. if if that went Roma's way, they're now three points behind Juve. If it didn't, 
you've got a comfortable six-point cushion. Oh, Roma being the last Italian side in Europe, what do you make of their chances against Leicester? Well, I think it'll be an open game. I mean, Leicester can't defend set pieces. I mean, we've seen this again at the, the weekend in, in, in the Newcastle defeat. Roma are exceptional at set pieces. That's one of the things that has underpinned their run and their season under Justin Marine. I think only Liverpool have scored more in Europe's top five leagues. I think it's 22 goals from set pieces. So that is certainly something that Roma will be looking at and think we can have joy there. But also, I mean, you have to say that since the turn of the year, you know, Roma have have showed up in, in, in more big games than, than we're used to. Um, this was one of the criteria on which to judge Mourinho on um, because it was something that was held against his predecessor, Paolo Fonseca. And, um, okay, he hasn't beaten any of the sides above him uh, in City at the moment. But that performance in the derby against Lazio was sensational in the first half. Performance in the first half against Bodo Glimt, massive game, also sensational. And I, I don't think the city has got behind one person in this way since Totti retired. You know, in terms of they are all in on Jose Mourinho and you look at the crowds and the atmosphere at the Stadio Olimpico at the moment. I mean, I think only Inter are getting bigger attendances. Um, I think the, the Freakin family have, have put a very competitive ticketing strategy together which is like you know some tickets are between five and 14 euros you know i mean five euros to go in the distinti sud which is you know the kind of corners of the curva and then 14 euros for monte mario which is one of the traditionally one of the most expensive stands to go and watch a roma game in and so you've got you've got a combination of things Mourinho, team doing well competitive ticket pricing Coming out of the pandemic, um, capacity your restrictions being lifted, all of these things um, coming together at the same time, which I think makes for Leicester going to the Olympico, it will be a really difficult atmosphere, I think, to to handle. Um, so, so yeah, I think there's there's a lot of optimism, even though final caveat, you know, in the Champions League in 2018, Roma lost in the semi-finals to a Premier League side that was Liverpool. Europa League last year, they lost to a Premier League side that was Manchester United and they've drawn a Premier League side again in the Conference League. So let's see mm. um, if if this year is their year in that regard. Indeed. Still, if we're mentioning precedent, last man <laughs> to win a, a European yeah. title with an Italian side, it was him, wasn't it? Anyway. It was. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Cobra Italia see. semi-finals, this, uh, second legs. The first leg was some way back in 2021. Was it? When did they play the first leg? <laughs> first leg, this is... Six Juve. weeks ago, James. Mm. Feels, feels, feels like ages. Anyway, way back in the midst of time, Juve took a 1-0 lead in their semi-final with Fiorentina. Uh, it was goalless between Milan and Inter. And they are up on Tuesday night, I believe, with uh, Juve Fiorentina on Wednesday. Yeah, we mentioned at the top of the show how yeah, Inter, really since the debut Italia, it feels like... They've turned their season around. That all of a sudden the momentum's back behind them. That they're they're, they're playing with the exception that came against Juventus, which was a real backs against the wall uh, win with one shot on target, which was a penalty. That they've started playing good football again. But this this is an opportunity, I think, for Milan to actually you know maybe get into their heads a little bit. If they were to if they were to win this game and knock them out, 
and reach the final, then uh, then I think that might have a, a bearing on on the final few weeks of the title race um, as well. Um, I mean, also, I mean, as much as as Inter is running looks like the best of the the, the kind of top sides, um, so Milan into Napoli. They've got obviously Roma at the weekend, and okay, they beat them three 0 comprehensively earlier in the season. Then knocked them out of the uh, knocked them out of the cup as well. But they, they also play a couple of the, the teams that are fighting relegation. I mean, you think of Cagliari on the penultimate day, Samp uh, on the final day. Both of those teams could be fighting for their lives at that stage. Um, Udinese come after Roma, and Udinese have been uh, awkward team for the, the top sides to play against so far this season so yeah I think I think uh, the outcome of the, the Madonina in this Cup Italy semi-final could still have another twist in the title race um, it could foreshadow one anyway so, mm. so let's see very interesting yeah that game is actually on Tuesday not sure which way around I had it and Juve Fiorentina is on the Wednesday let's conclude our Serie A section though James with this huge a deal, at least the way it's being reported, that was announced at the end of last week, or this huge offer for Milan by the Bahrain-based investment group InvestCorp. What can you tell yeah. us? What, how big's the war chest? <laughs> well, because let's say it's about 300 million. Um, but, um, yeah, from what I can gather, it would be a kind of continuity with with what we've seen so far um under Elliot who have you know kind of turned the club around over the last four years um often been quite prudent they did spend a lot of money to begin with you think of the amount that they invested in Pakita and Piontek mm. um deals that didn't work out whilst they were kind of still figuring out how this football business works but yeah since then they've done something that's kind of I would say unprecedented in in football but goes against the grain in that they've you know, kind of cut operation, operating costs and become more competitive. It's, it's it, usually you have to spend more to get better in football. So in prospect, it's one private equity group that would replace another. However, InvestCorp could walk away. Elliot could walk away. I think one of the things that's quite interesting from all of this is that um, with the reporting of, of this offer from, from InvestCorp, um, you know, other investors uh, are, are now asking themselves the question and saying, oh, right, okay, AC Milan may be available. And, uh, you know, we've seen how much interest there is in in, in football clubs and, and how much money there is kind of swilling around at the moment, uh, just following the kind of the auction for Chelsea. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if um, if there was to be more competition uh, for, 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 for the prospective uh, acquisition of, of AC Milan because ultimately yeah Elliot the fund that runs it at the moment could decide to keep it and that's not the right time to sell but um, it's, a, it's a fascinating time uh, for for this particular space of the, the football market if you like mm. fascinating time off the field James and on it well we'll see what happens with uh, Napoli Roma this evening and then the Coppa Italia and all that and big games coming up next weekend not just into Roma but also Milan away at Lazio so it's going to be another biggie for that title race. Still to come on this Totally Show, we'll hear from Julien Laurence. And next up, in the Netherlands, Mikael Jongsma. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Gakpo, die de bal heeft. Gakpo, de altijd schiet. Gakpo, doelpunt! Doelpunt, Cody Gakpo! In één minuut tijd draait PSV de hele wedstrijd om. Het is Gakpo! Now joining us on the line is Mikael Jongsma from the Netherlands. Hi, Mikael, how are you? I'm good, thanks, James. How are you? I'm very, very well. Listen, I should warn you that... Uh, and because downstairs neighbours are doing home improvements on uh, Easter Monday, so uh, that might be a factor in our conversation. But, Mikhail, first of all, tell us about the cup final on Sunday. Yeah, that was quite a game. Uh, Ajax uh, against PSV, the two best teams in the country. They've been that for, for a few years now, I would say. Um, and Ajax were the overwhelming favourites coming into it. Uh, especially because PSV had played Leicester City in the Conference League a couple of days be- before that. Uh, but uh, even though Ajax managed to, to grab the lead through a fine goal by Ryan Gravenberg, it was PSV that in the end managed to get the win by a two-goal blitz just after half-time. Uh, and after that, um, yeah, after PSV went up, Ajax never really seemed able to, to disrupt PSV as much as PSV were able to disrupt them. So... Uh, yeah, quite a quite a surprise, I would say, and uh, yeah, a, a bit of a, a stain on Erik ten Hag's uh, well, probably final season and as Ajax manager. Mm, interesting the word the word probably creeping in there because reports out of the Netherlands over the weekend and post game were, were very much of the club suggesting that he might not leave after all. That it's by no means a a, a done deal with with Manchester United. Well, uh, when it comes to uh, Dutch media in general, they do think that it <clears throat> that it will happen. Uh, Erik ten Hag doesn't have much to to win at Ajax anymore. He's taken them to the to the Champions League semi-finals. Was close to the final there. Um, at the moment, when you look at the state of the squad, it's not what it was a few years ago. And apart from that, the one that helped him build the club up the way uh, way it operates now is uh, has already left in Mark Overmars and obviously there were really good reasons to um, <laughs> to, to dismiss Overmars uh, a few months ago but it has left Ajax in a bit of an influx and to be completely honest like Ajax are in a bit of a precarious situation I would say because with Ten Hag uh, leaving a few of their uh, most most valuable assets already gone and uh, some some top talents about to leave as well. Um, it is very interesting to see how the rebuilding of this this team uh, will take shape. Mm. Yeah, not necessarily a, a smooth handover. The last multiple title winning manager uh, to move on, uh, Frank de Boer. Curiously enough, it took a bit of time for Ajax to sort themselves out after that. Yeah, absolutely. And even Erik ten Hag came in after Marcel Kaiser, uh, who uh, succeeded Peter Bos before that. Uh, had done a well, a, a mediocre job, I would say, and I mean that that's kind of how it goes with Ajax managers. Ajax is a, is a notoriously diff, diff, uh, difficult club to manage, especially if you're an outsider like Erik ten Hag is. He managed to win everyone over, has done an incredible job. But since Louis van Gaal left in '97, 
there have been only three managers that have been able to hold out for two seasons or longer. And I think that says plenty about how difficult it is to find someone uh, to do that job properly. And as it stands, like there's no real clear favorite to take the job. A few of the names mentioned are, uh, are Peter Boss, who had done a good job before, uh, but he's still at Lyon. Alfred Schroeder has been an assistant manager there. He's been named as well, but he's at Club Brugge at the moment. Um, uh, so, yeah, it, it kind of leaves Ajax in a very, very interesting situation. And, um, yeah, I'm really curious to see uh, which way they're going because their squad is aging. Uh, they started five players of 29 or older uh, in the game yesterday. So it's not that young, vibrant, um, darling, uh, European football darling that it was a couple of years ago. Interesting. And also, is there a danger that it's not just going to be next season that proves difficult, but even the end of this one, that the whole the whole confusion or uncertainty could could impact on the run-in? They're, they're four points clear of PSV, four games to go, which feels like a, a decent advantage. But having seen PSV beating them on, on Sunday, what do you think? Well, PSV haven't been great uh, this season either. And uh, Roger Schmidt, who's, uh, who's supposedly departing for Benfica after this season, hasn't been the great success that everyone hoped for. But they do have, an, have a good squad. Their, their spirits are up, obviously, after winning the Cup for the first time in 10 years. Um, they have a, a, a fairly easy run-in, as do have Ajax. But Ajax have two difficult away games uh, against AZ and Fites, uh, whereas PSV still have to face Feyenoord. So... Uh, I think both both of them will drop points, so a four-point uh, lead should be enough for Ajax to get it over the line. But as we've seen recently, Ajax have, have trouble to see out games. They've had not narrow games, narrow victories against teams that are well below them in quality, like Sparta and Ercase, teams that, that you'd usually expect them to sweep 5-6-0. And if that, that trend continues, and what you saw against PSV was that after they uh, they fell behind, they weren't able to just recuperate in a way that you usually uh, expect them to do. Then, yeah, it, it will be interesting. And and the fact that Eric Ten Hag hasn't been able to sort a few of the flaws in the team out at the moment is, is slightly concerning. And uh, yeah, it's it's I I, I would I wouldn't be surprised to see Ajax drop four points, but it's effectively five because they have a superior goal difference. And hmm. and that that I think that will eventually get it over the line but it's definitely not a, a completely done uh, done deal I would say alright unfinished business much like your downstairs neighbours um, yeah yeah alright well listen I hope you enjoy the rest of your bank holiday weekend and we'll catch up with you for an update on the Eredivisie title before the season or when the season comes to a close perhaps oh, that sounds excellent and I hope my, my neighbours are, are done by then Mikhail Youngsma. Next up, let's hear from Jules in France with Le Classique and much more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. 
Joining us now on the line, literally from France, Julien Laurence. Hey, Jules. Hi, James. Hi, everyone. Uh, lovely to hear from you. Hope you're enjoying your Easter break. Uh, I hope you managed to take in some of that top league uh, action, not least Sunday night's huge Le Classique, PSG Marseille. Yes, of course, James. There was the, um, the game of the weekend in Ligue 1, certainly, even if despite, I guess, all the excitement and expectations before, didn't really live up to, to it because it was a pretty boring game or pretty dull game. I think Sampaoli was a bit criticised for the minimalist game plan that he had and he said after the game he would have been suicidal to play any different than what Marseille mm. tried to do. And in the end, PSG won 2-1. There was a lot of VAR controversy, a lot of goals disallowed through VAR or checked via VAR. Uh, in the end, maybe PSG slightly deserved to win it, although I think a draw maybe would have been fair too. But it was between first and second, even if there was a big gap between the two, I think a lot of people expected maybe more intensity, even more beef between the two teams. We only had a bit of aggro between Ganduzi and, and Neymar in the second half. But apart from that, it was a pretty normal game, which is not really what we expected from such a, such a big rivalry and big game. Soporific. That was the verdict of Thierry Henry. Yeah, for most of it. Not helping. Uh, the lack of intensity was the fact that there were no away fans and the PSG fans were pretty much silent. The collective Paris Ultras... Uh, basically, with a with, with a vow of silence in in protest. What, why was this? What are they protesting about, Jules? It's still the um, the backlash from the Real Madrid defeat in the Champions League and what we saw before. So they didn't go as far as booing the players this time. But before the game, they were quite indecisive on 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 what to do. I think some of them wanted to be fully behind the team because it was the classic and the game against Marseille and and a win would have brought the 10th the title closer to the club. And I think the other half were like, no, 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 we're still not happy with the season, how the season went. This is not, this is not good enough for a team like this. So let's keep showing how unhappy we are or the discontent. And that's what, that's what they did because you're right, the atmosphere, certainly from the, the two ultra, like the ultra groups behind each goal, was not what it would usually be for a game like this. You know, no choreography, no TFOs, no songs really. Of course, they when PSG scored and the Neymar first goal, especially the the stadium cheered, but it was not. It was nowhere near the atmosphere that you usually have in a game like this. You're right. The fact that the Marseille fans, as as it's been the case for the last maybe five or six years, no away fans are either allowed at the Palais de Prince or the Velodrome. Mm. That obviously takes away a lot of the love the atmosphere that you can have in a game like this. So, yeah, in the end, between what we saw on the page and what we saw in the stands, it was pretty underwhelming, to be fair. I see. Uh, very whelming is the fact that they are now 15 points clear, PSG, of Marseille and can seal the title on Wednesday night when they take on Angers, if they get a better result than um do against Nantes. Yeah, you're right, James. And uh, obviously, it will be the 10th, the 10th title, uh, which only Saint-Étienne has ever done in French football history. Mm-hmm. And you get, you're allowed to put a, a star on your, on your shirt if you get to 10 domestic titles and then two if you get to 20, like it happens, for example, in, in Italy. 
which some clubs decide to do, some don't want to do it. I think PSG have decided not to put the star for next season shirt for the tenth title. Instead, there might be there might be something on the sleeve, or there might be something a little bit different, but there would not be a star. I see. Uh, any particular reason for that, Jules? Just uh, it's nothing to do with Red Star Paris or anything, is it? No, I don't think it's with Red Star. I think maybe the 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 most simple of reason, uh, Jimbo, is that the shirt for next season have already been uh-huh. uh, made by the uh, the kit maker. Mm. So and there was add... no way of anticipating that the title would have been coming. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. You don't want to jinx it, you know. No, so... that's true. Mm. All right, uh, elsewhere. In Ligue 1 this weekend, Lance beat Lille in the Derby del Nord. Lyon, who got embarrassed by West Ham last Thursday, managed to bounce back by beating Bordeaux 6-1. Crikey. Mm. And like L'Equipe put it on, on Monday morning, uh, the headline was strong against the weak. Ah. In fairness, this, is, this sums up so well Lyon's season in the sense that as we saw against West Ham, when it's a big game and they have to step up, although I know they, they beat Porto, for example, the previous round of the Europa League, but, but still, they fail, and they fail as we saw against West Ham. So they clearly are, are good when, when they are the better team, but when mm. they have to raise their game, they struggle and they fail. And this is part of the season. We know that Peter Bosch is very likely to be sacked at the end of the season. Uh, remember, at the turn of the year, Jean-Michel Olas, the, the Lyon chairman, gave him a, an ultimatum and a, like a deadline of February to keep him or to sack him. They decided to keep him and then we saw what happened. You know, they, they're nowhere near good enough in the league and, and that defeat against West Ham was hugely disappointing because they really thought they could go all the way in that competition. So, it's, despite that 6-1 win against Bordeaux, Bordeaux who are in all sorts of troubles, of course, second from bottom, that win doesn't reflect at all where Lyon are right now are a club and, and and the future is not looking great, to be fair. Lyon's fans also protesting. Was there a boycott for that match, Jules? And what was that about? Yes, they didn't turn up. Uh, the ultras especially. So there was a lot of empty seats at the Group Amma Stadium. And maybe more importantly, they turned up at the uh, team's hotel before the game. 50 or 60 of the ultras and starting being quite aggressive towards the team to show again how unhappy they, they are. They were very unhappy at the end of the West Ham game on Thursday night uh, last week where they tried to get onto the pitch and somehow uh, failed uh, because he was protected by the, the barriers and also by the, the steward who did a really good job to prevent maybe 20 or 30 of the ultras to get on the pitch to confront uh, the players, I think, also the technical staff, and maybe go all the way towards the um, the director's box where Jean-Michel Olas was. Uh, so I think we avoided something much bigger after the West Ham game, but we knew they would not leave it there. And indeed, they went to the team's hotel before the border game to uh, to be quite aggressive towards the players because I think there was a lot of good things done at the start of the season. But the way the season went, it's just been a nightmare for the fans. And they will very likely miss out on Europe again next season, which will be the second time in the last three years, which for a club like them is unacceptable. Currently four points off even a conference league place. Could be worse, Jules. They could be Saint-Etienne. <laughs> exactly, James. Although the nice story of the weekend comes from there because you remember last week they lost 6-2 uh, 
uh, à Lorient, uh, where they were after being 2 nil up. And in that game, the captain, Madi Kamaran, maybe uh, the best player, wasn't there because he'd been suspended by the club because the previous weekend, while he was playing in the stand, his mum and brother had an altercation with uh, someone in the stands. Uh, the brother had a fight with that person. Turned out that that person was the reserve uh, goalkeeper, the Saint-Etienne reserve goalkeeper. So then when Madi Kamara learned about who that person was, he went to meet him at the training ground and smashed his head up. So the club was like, listen, Madi, you are the club captain. You cannot do that. Even if that person obviously uh, had beef with your brother the day before, you can't go and smash his head up. So they suspended him for a week, which meant he missed, he missed that game against Lorient where they were humiliated. And he was back this weekend because he was suspended for a week. He was back this weekend and guess what? He scored the two goals in the 2-1 win to win and boost their hope of staying up next season. So Madi Kamara, very much the redemption, James, of the club's captain. Right. By the way, is it true that Saint-Étienne, in their bid to avoid the drop, have asked their Muslim players to stop fasting for Ramadan. Yes, that's right, James. Uh, Pascal Duprat, the, uh, the coach, thought that to be able to stay up, he would need everybody with full energy um, for every single game coming up now, which means that for some of them, and they've got a few who are fasting at the moment every day, uh, he thought that training, they wouldn't be able to be at their best. And then in certain games... From what I was told, I don't think many enjoyed the um, the proposal from the coach. So I don't think many will end up breaking their fast uh, to do that. They said, "Listen, we can we can play our best even if we respect you know, one one of Islam's um, you know main uh, main festival in a way." So yeah, so I don't think that went down well. But yeah, that's what Dupra believed. I'm I'm not really convinced either that was a good idea in the first place. No. I think a lot of people would strongly disagree with Pascal Duprez's idea. And certainly from a sporting point of view, the likes of uh, well, Karim Benzema would suggest that you can exactly. fast and still be uh, fast. Race for Champions League places, uh, top two occupied by PSG and L'OM. Behind them, only three points between Rennes in third and Monaco in fourth after those two teams met this weekend. How'd it go, Jules? Yeah, Monaco won that one, James. Really, really good game. Uh, Monaco, remember, not so long ago, all the stories coming out of the uh, the owner, Dmitry Rybolovlev, the um, the Rush, Russian oligarch and billionaire who wanted to sign the new coach, Philippe Clement, uh, the sporting director, Paul Mitchell, and uh, the club's president who's running the club on a daily basis, Oleg Petrov. He'd had enough. They were out of the Europa League uh, in a disappointing way. Against uh, against Braga, they were a bit struggling in Europe to try to finish in that in the top five, uh, and since then they, they they've won all their games and they're coming back into the league. And you're right, they can they even hoping to try to get catch Marseille. They won because Wissam Ben Yedder is such an amazing player. He's 31 years old, but his eye for goal and it, that that awareness is still there. And even if he's not maybe as sharp as he used to when he was younger. You know that you give him one chance and he's going to score. And that's exactly what he did. It was a really good game. And Monaco, to be fair, were worthy winners. And Philippe Clément is doing a really good job to the point that now Ribolov left is thinking, mm, maybe I should not sack them all. So he might just sack the president and keep the sporting director and the manager for next season. Jules, that's magnificent. When are you back from France? 
Tuesday, James. Very much looking forward to coming back home. Now. All right, just in time for Liverpool Man United, of course. Huge. Excellent. Well, bon voyage, mon ami. And we look forward to speaking to you next uh, Monday, Tuesday. Perfect. Well, there you go, listener. That's been a broad-ranging romp around the continental football scene. Many thanks to Jules and Mikhail and Christoph earlier and Alvaro and James. And now we'll uh, we'll get the gang back together next Monday when, of course, we'll have the semi-finals ahead of us in the various European competitions. Crikey. Have a great week in the meantime. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.